Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here, Frank Friedman there in South Louisiana. How are you today, my friend? It's it's sunny and warm here in Southern Arizona. How about you? Oh, it's very foggy and humid today for the middle of winter, but you know that happens sometimes down here. Yes, it does. I remember living there so many years, walking out of the house and feeling like I was being hugged by a warm, wet sponge. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) There are days like that. Well, friends, you've caught Frank and me in the middle of a conversation we're having, not about a pivotal word or phrase from scripture, but a pivotal issue in life, uh, especially in the church. We're talking about affairs, or more clearly, adultery. And if you caught us last time, we were spending our time at the end discussing the ideal. We talked about the relationship in the garden and how Adam and Eve were open and honest and bright and brilliant, not pale with each other, expressing their perfect personalities and expressing the life of God to each other. But Frank, we know that it doesn't take much after the honeymoon before the trenches of life start to come in. And that perfect, very good that we enjoyed in our honeymoon can go downhill pretty quickly. And we can find conflicts and issues where our spouse just isn't as attractive as she or he used to be. There's tension. You have jobs, you have mortgages, you're pulling in two directions, and you begin to wonder, my goodness, have I chosen the wrong spouse? And so when that thought gets a root in our minds, we begin to wonder, well, is there someone better? Because I certainly am thirsty for what I had back in our honeymoon and back in the early stages, but boy, I'm not finding it now. So I'm thirsty, Frank. And so when it comes to thirst, Jesus had some things to say about how to handle when we thirst. Clue us in on that. And where is Jesus leading us with that thought? Well, John, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. And you did say this keyword thirst. In the Garden of Eden, which you made reference to, life was very good. There was no such thing as a thirst. All needs for that first man and first woman were met by God, who filled them with his own life. So they were beings. They just were breathing in, breathing out God like a fish in the water. But then they made a fateful choice. They chose other than God as a life source and instantly became empty, instantly became thirsty. This is why Jesus had to come, not just to forgive us our sins, 
but to restore us back to God as the source of life so we could be full once again and come to each other as full and complete vessels, expression of his life and love to another instead of sucking life out of each other. And that's wonderful. The only problem is we still live in a fallen world and we now live with choice. Before the fall, Adam and Eve, they didn't live in choice. They just were until they made the fateful choice. We now have to live under the choice to look to God to meet our needs and not to a human being. And so this key word thirst, John, in John chapter seven, Jesus said what to me is one of the most revolutionary thoughts ever. He said, if any man thirst, come to me. And I love the words, every word of every phrase of this verse, any man, any woman, doesn't matter where you are in life, who you are. If you thirst, and we need to notice, he didn't say thirst after righteousness, John. He said, do you thirst? And he didn't qualify it. That means any kind of thirst. If you thirst for significance, come to me. I'll satisfy that thirst. I'll make you a child of the king. You can't get any more significant than that. Do you thirst for money? Well, come to me. You're really thirsting for security. And, and see how that works, John. It's any thirst. If you thirst for sex, please understand that's a thirst. You're really thirsting for intimacy. I can give that to you. Well, people would say, Frank, that's a nice thesis. Can you prove that biblically? Yeah, very simply. Go to John 4. We had a woman there. She had five husbands. She's living with a guy now. Obviously, there's sexual immorality there. When Jesus comes and talks to her, he doesn't talk about sin. He talks about the fact that she was thirsty, John. And he said, oh, girl, if you would only drink from me, your thirst would be satisfied forever. So I really believe, gentlemen, that we need to be very honest with our listeners here and speak very frankly. And I don't mean a pun there. <laughs> In my way of thinking, we were designed for intimacy with God. In the marriage relationship, the man gets intimacy from God. The woman gets intimacy from God. We come together expressing intimacy to each other, not getting intimacy from each other, expressing it. But if we don't get that intimacy from God, we're going to thirst for intimacy. And the very best intimate experience on the face of the planet for us, apart from God, is the sexual union. And John, let's just talk for a minute about the sexual union. Based on your gender, you either have someone inside of you or you are inside another human being. You cannot get any more intimate than that on this planet, apart from God. Add to that, it's a pleasurable experience. The rest of the world can go to hell in a handbasket in that moment of that experience. And what happens is you will become addicted to that experience if you don't get life from God. 
The sexual union was intended by God to be an expression of an intimacy and a love and a fullness that each individual already possessed. The sexual union was never be designed to be a tool to get that intimacy and love and pleasure from another human being. Yeah. A tool is a good word. Bargaining chip leverage. Uh, we use it as a weapon so often, you know, Frank, listening to you talk, I get the impression that this intimacy that we lost when Adam and Eve said, no, thank you. And they rebelled against God. This really can be restored to us. If we just choose as an act of our will to return to our father and let his never closing faucet fill our cups. And I think about Mark 10, where Jesus says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So many people think of that as a command. Don't do it. But what I'm hearing from you is that this is a promise that mm -hmm. you can go back to Genesis 131, and this can be very good. All of mm -hmm. this, all these counterfeits, our father can reveal them to you and you can choose to say no to them. And you can enter into the reality of the intimacy with him and with your spouse that only he can bring to us. So mm -hmm. I'm really encouraged, my friend, because this is a promise. This is not a, a fantasy picture of what we lost. This is a promise that can be ours today. Mm. Yeah, John, this is really the first step to a fair proofing a marriage. And it's so much more than just a fair proofing a marriage. It's a fulfilling of what God intended marriage to be. And that is that we get restored to the true source of life. Another human being can never give us life. If we try to get life from them, we're going to put demands on them. They can't fulfill it. We're going to be frustrated. As you said, we're going to look at that person and say, well, I married the wrong one. And then we go try someone else and do the same thing all over again. To have the marriage God intended for us to have. And when we have that, which a fair proofs a marriage, we have to begin at the proper source. And that proper source is God. Amen. My God has promised to supply all my needs. And John, just to help people think through this, I want to say it this way. If you're looking to a spouse to meet your needs, it's not just that you're in error. You are an idolater. Ouch. You're <laughs> yeah, you're worshiping the wrong God. We get love from God so that we can give love to each other. If you have both spouses do that, then there's no seeking from each other. There's only a giving to each other from a God who is a faucet that never turns off and fills our cups full to overflowing onto the other. John, you pushed our little children's book last week. I wish everybody would get that book <laughs> because it's teaching us our design as human beings and for relationship. Indeed it is. What a great book it is. You can find it on our website. Let's plug it again. I was wrong, but God may be right. You can find it on our website, ourresolutehope.com. Shameless plug. 
All right, Frank, you've described uh, basically a restoration of what we lost in Eden, but there's so much counterfeit out there. And I want to spend just a moment talking about what the counterfeit really does for us and how it hurts us. If you look at the consequences from Genesis chapter three of looking to someone else other than God, I want to spend a moment looking at how Adam and Eve responded. Of course, they were open and acceptable and free and no shame. But the first thing they did, Frank, was they sewed fig leaves to make aprons. Literally, Mm -hmm. these were loin coverings. And I did some checking, and this same word that translated aprons here in Genesis 3 appears elsewhere in Scripture, translated armor. Wow. Mm. It's translated armor, Frank. And so you're not just covering up the things about you that were different, which is what they did. They covered their loins, the most different thing about them, which of course suggests that difference is unacceptable now that we're not intimate with our father, but it's a set of armor, Frank. And without God Hmm. to take off that armor, we're going to go into every relationship wearing Hmm. those armor fig leaves. So there's no way that we can have the intimacy God designed us to have Hmm. unless we let him take, just like he did in Genesis 3, take off those fig leaf armor plates and put on something that covers Hmm. us properly. So I think that's really cool that it's translated armor. And boy, doesn't that match well what happens in everyday life when marriages are struggling? Hmm. Yeah, because armor, John, is the great enemy of love. Love is the giving of your heart to another. But if you're wearing armor, that heart can't get out. And love is the receiving from another. And if you're wearing armor, that other person's love can't break through the armor. Bill Gillum used to say about love, he said, it's kind of like a dog chasing a car. What's that dog going to do if he ever catches the car? Well, that's the way human beings are functioning apart from God. We're chasing after love. Uh, but what are we going to do with it if we ever catch it? We don't know what to do with it. We're afraid uh, they're going to hurt us or we're going to let them down. And so the armor stays up. And so what happens is because we don't have the full experience of love from God, we cannot have the expression of love to each other that we have received from God. That's hard work. It's called faith. It's called trusting God. It's called taking off that armor, being willing to be hurt, being willing to be exposed. And rather than do that hard work, you know what human beings tend to do, John? What's that? Yeah, leave the armor on and just go get the best counterfeit intimacy we can get, which is the sexual relationship and partake of that and have a pseudo intimacy and a pseudo expression of love. But that counterfeit, Frank, can be so attractive so alluring Mm. so deceptive Mm. because you know remember genesis 2 bone of my bone flesh of my flesh in genesis 3 that changes now it's no longer uh, she's part of me it's hey god the woman you gave me it's your Mm. fault you made a dumb choice god you blew it i know better i'm gonna go someplace else and and i'm gonna choose one who fits but frank This counterfeit, this deception is just so overwhelmingly 
powerful. Look at the way it presents itself. Pornography is a big one, but it doesn't just stop there. Romance novels. I've been mm. counseling with people who've gotten lost in romance novels, the fantasy between the pages, because it shields them from the struggles of real life. Your job can be a counterfeit intimacy source for you. Your children, your family, service in church, pastor, <laughs> mm. service in church, recreation. We both know people who have avoided their problems in their marriage by recreating. But Frank, mm. this can be so attractive. So alluring, so exciting, so pleasurable, so rewarding, short term, but it mm. never really lasts, does it? Mm. Well, John, this is the thing we have to realize. All behavior has a motive. And we have to ask, what's the motive? And the motive is usually, I need to get my needs met. I need to feel loved. I need to feel accepted. I need intimacy. I need excitement. I need pleasure. And every one of those, of course, starts with I. And it's the verbal expression of a heart that is empty because it's not in intimate union with God. And when you're empty, the one thing you want to do more than anything else is get full. But the enemy comes to us and he doesn't say, hey, this is really sinful, but it'll meet your needs. He'll come and say, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this sweet? Isn't this exciting? And it is. It is at first. (laughs) That's it. It's just like uh, biting into an apple that has a worm. The apple, the first bite's great. And then you see the worm and you, you ate half of it. The book of Proverbs, John, addresses this. And I know you've looked at Proverbs much. What what have you found there in Proverbs about this issue? Oh, my goodness, Frank. There is so much there. First, when it comes to the counterfeits that are out there, we need to realize that our Father gives us such clear instruction. I'm going to pick one verse, Proverbs 4. Verse 14, it says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Now, it doesn't say, Frank, hey, be careful when you're walking along the path of the wicked. Watch where you put your foot in the way of evil. It says, avoid it. Turn away from it. Do not travel. Pass on. You need a little more strong word? First Corinthians 6, Paul says, Flee sexual immorality. Don't just be careful around it or uh, just be cautious, but stay away from it because it is so alluring. It is so enticing. And it's a very slippery slope, isn't it? Well, John, those words flee immorality. I think it's very insightful what the spirit didn't say. He didn't say fight against it. (laughs) You know, you look at Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God that you can stand against the enemy, (laughs) but not in this arena. (laughs) In this arena, it's so tempting, so alluring, so enticing. It's a counterfeit intimacy. It's a counterfeit life. Run from it. I I think of Joseph running from Potiphar's wife. There's a guy in the old book who didn't do Joseph. Joseph had that temptation and he ran. There's a guy named David. He was up on a rooftop and he looked over and saw the naked Bathsheba. He didn't run. He looked over and he inquired, 
And he thought, boy, she's really beautiful. I wonder what her name is. Bam. He was already a goner, John, yeah. because you cannot fight against this sin. You have to run from it. That's right. There's nothing you can do to put blinders on, Frank. You can't legislate your life or arrange things so that these temptations never cross your path. And there's so many efforts out there to just put barriers around us. So, you know, it's like a fence law to keep you from doing this. I'm going to stay so far away, but there's no way you're going to keep the temptation from running across your path. So it's an instant moment by moment, depending on our father for his life to flow through us, to recognize the lie and just say, no, I won't. I won't go there. I won't do that. I'm going to flee. I'm not even going to take step one on the path of the wicked. And it really is a matter of spiritual warfare at the deepest core, because we've got to set our mind on things above when the enemy is going to parade a million different temptations around us to get our eyes off our father. So this is really warfare at its core, isn't it? Absolutely, John. And you said the key words, the only weapon for this battle is the fullness of the life of God inside us. So full that we don't look to counterfeit sources of life. And John, I really wanted to bounce off of that thought and provide something very practical for our listeners. And one of the things I've used over the years is the analogy of a bank account, because everybody knows about a bank account. And the bottom line is you're going to make withdrawals. That's what a bank account is for. You better be making deposits or you'll make more withdrawals and than you have in there and you'll bankrupt the account. Well, John, a relationship with another person is like a bank account. Just because you're human, you're going to make withdrawals. You're going to be angry one day. You're going to be short-tempered. You're going to be indifferent. And your spouse is going to take that as a withdrawal. You better be making deposits so that your bank account doesn't get bankrupt. I'll never forget this one woman, John. She uh, called me up at about two in the afternoon, just hysterical. I could hardly make out her words. I finally got her to calm down enough to tell me she had just committed adultery. And so I told her to come in and we started to talk. And as she shared this story, she was bemoaning, how could I have done this? You see, and it, the shock of what she had just done. Well, John, it wasn't just what she had done. It's what she had been doing for the two previous years. What happened? Her husband wasn't making deposits. He was making withdrawals. He's a human being. At work, there was this guy. And it started off, you know, innocent. Boy, did you change your hair today? She loved being complimented. That's a deposit. He came by and said, well, that's a pretty dress. Is that new? That's a deposit. Nothing sexual at the time, John. Well, pretty soon, she's walking by his desk purposely to hear a compliment. Deposit. Deposit. One day, go to lunch. Deposit. Eventually, so many lunches, so many deposits, the man was ready to make a withdrawal. And one day, they ate at a restaurant for lunch. 
with a hotel right next door. And he had already booked a room and had a key. And he made that withdrawal. And she had allowed him to make deposits. For one, she wasn't drawing life from God, so her cup was full. Two, she wasn't being honest with her husband and working that out. He kept making withdrawals. Somebody else made enough deposits to finally make a withdrawal. So John, I'd put it this way. The number one thing to a fair proof of marriage, each spouse needs to draw life from God so we come to each other full. But in addition, we need to flee immorality, never give it a place in our lives, run from it, don't fight against it when the temptation comes and you will be tempted. And then thirdly, make deposits into your spouse's account. John, I make a lot of withdrawals <laughs> and so do you in your marriage. Uh, We've yes. got to make so many deposits. Boy, you're you're so beautiful. I'm so glad that you chose me. What can I do for you, honey? Kindness, deposit, 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 so that it twofold. My withdrawals will never bankrupt the account because I make more deposits than withdrawals. And two, and this is powerful, John. I want to make so many deposits into her account. There's no room for other men to make deposits. That's the key. Now, John, because of the struggle and the turmoil we face in marriage and the wounds, there's a lot of times we'll say to ourselves, we don't feel like making deposits. We're angry. We're hurt. Well, this is a matter of remembering several things. One, who are you in Christ? You are a lover. You are a forgiver. You are a restorer. You are a deposit maker. <laughs> Two, God's life himself is in you to be expressed through you. You have the ability to make those deposits, even if you don't feel like it. John, those deposits function like an investment. When I invest my money into an account, I start to become infatuated, compulsive, if you will, towards that account. I want to see how my investments are doing. It's the same way when you make investments into your marriage. You might not feel like it, but the more deposits you make, the more investments you make, you become connected to that investment. And eventually you'll feel like it, but do it even if you don't feel like it. I will close with this one thought. Did Jesus feel like going to the cross? Absolutely not. He said, Father, is there any other way? But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And he went to the cross. So Jesus went to the cross, not feeling like going to the cross. We think that's hypocrisy. No, it's not. Did it count? It better have counted or we're in trouble. <laughs> A hypocrite, John, is not somebody who does other than what he feels. A hypocrite is somebody who does other than what he is. We are lovers. Therefore, we make deposits. And deposits over time transform a marriage and a fair proof of marriage. Wow. And the only way we can do that is to draw life from God first, its proper source. Well said, my friend. Thank you for that digest and that wonderful analogy. Well, friends, you've been listening to Frank and John on the Our Resolute Hope podcast as we've been talking about adultery and how to affair-proof your marriage. 
I mentioned this earlier, but I'll remind you again, please check out our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of information there for you. Uh, I invite you to check out our social media feeds as well, Facebook, Instagram, and an ever-growing YouTube channel. So like and subscribe, ring that bell so you won't miss any new message series. There are several more coming out very soon. And once again, we close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, that no matter how deeply locked in the trenches you might feel and how difficult your marriage might be at this time, that you are not hopeless. You have a hope. We all have a hope. It's an anchor. That's how solid this hope is. It's a living hope. It's a blessed hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. So today and always, even when you don't feel like it, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you in you and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.